Guys, I got to be honest with you. I'm, I, I mean, doing a relationship message tonight is going to happen. But um, all, because that's what I'm preaching on. But all week, man, I'm telling you, I, I have been like really, really uh, stirring in my prayer time. Just time of just meditation and praying and chewing on the word. And I just find my spirit talking to me. You guys know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, I'm really tired. And your spirit's like, I'm hungry for more Jesus. Like, what do I got to do? Where, I, where do I have to go? What do I need to do? Because I, I have to have more Jesus. Like this craving on, on your inside. You guys ever been there to that state before? Man, I'm telling you guys, I, I, I feel it. I'm excited. I'm going to Japan on Wednesday. I don't even know what I'm going to do there. That's God's honest truth. I'm dead serious. I'll probably eat good sushi. But that's another sermon. But I'm telling you guys, I'm going to go, and we got some plans to meet with some young apostolic leaders. Japan is about 1% Christian. We know some pastors over there who are in their early 30s, about my age. And we're just going to go meet with them and pray with them. We may get the chance to preach. We may not. But we're just going, man, because we're believing, uh, me and one of my friends from Brazil, we're going together that a seed is going to be sown. We may not see the fruit, but we're going to go sow a seed. You know what I mean? So I just, I'm going to find some Jesus in Japan. <laughs> That's what I'm proclaiming. I want you guys to pray with me while I'm gone uh, because I really want to see him in, in the Japanese people. I want to see him in that land. I want to see revival. I want to see 1% go to 100%. And, you know, I'll dream that way. You know, we're, we're singing this whole dead things come back to life. I'm just, I'm just singing. Nashville, come to life. You know, Nashville, resurrect. Nashville, you're a city that's set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. You know, that's your destiny. That's your assignment. That's your prophetic purpose. You know, 90% of the world's Christian publication goes through this city, goes through the city of Nashville. And, you know, guys, we, we have an influence and, um, on the world, if you didn't know that. And so that's what I'm proclaiming over our city, man. So um, I'm, I'm hoping that this, this message is going to really uh, connect to some of those declarations because we've been in this series called Relation Fit over the last six, uh, five weeks, actually. And uh, next week, I want to tell you guys, you're not going to want to miss next week. Next week is going to be the best message out of Relation Fit, except for my wife's, because nobody preaches better than my wife. Right? It was a good word. Have y'all heard the podcast? Mind-blowing. Full of wisdom. Uh, but Alan Jones from Grace Center is going to be with us. If you guys have never heard him preach before, I can promise you, you want to get here. He's going to be preaching one of his life messages on boundaries. If you've never heard him talk about boundaries, I'm telling you guys, you have to get here. You ha I'm dead serious. It's going to be so good. And so we've been, we've been doing this relation fit um, uh, sermon series, we talked about our relationship with God. Allison talked about our relationship with ourselves. Uh, we went a bit further. We talked about our relationship with our family. We talked about our relationship with our friends. And tonight, what I want to talk about, guys, is our relationship with unbelievers. Okay? So I'm going to get real practical tonight. It's not going to be overly preachy. I think it's going to be more conversational but I'm going to get real practical about how Jesus modeled and perfectly defined for us real relationship with 
what the Bible says is sinners, right? Unbelievers or unrighteous people, if you will. And I don't know if you've ever been confused as to how to do relationship with non-Christians before, but I am all the time. Would anybody else admit, yes, that's me. I've been confused about that myself, Lyle. I'm confused about it, right? It's only three people. So the three people that raised their hand, we're going to have a little party here. The rest of y'all lay hands on us after it's over. We'll do a fire tunnel. We'll be the only three people that go through the fire tunnel. But, hey, hallelujah. I'm glad. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to receive. I've been reading Proverbs all month as well with Alan and AJ, Wisdom 31, and Man, I just, I'm, ex- I'm excited. That's all I can say. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 19, I'm going to read one verse of Scripture to start. And this is a, a famous passage. You're going to know it. You can probably quote it. But we're going to read this one verse of Scripture and then, and then dive into it. I, I really want to um, really share this in a way of sharing some of my story with you and, and my journey, my experience And I'm hoping to connect the dots with that story. So Matthew chapter 11, verse 19 says this. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Man, I love this one passage. I I wish... Tonight, I told my friend, I texted him, I said, I wish I was Charles Spurgeon. If y'all ain't never heard his sermons, he's such a good preacher. Because he'll take one scripture and preach on it for four hours. And I feel like this is that one scripture for me that I'm like, there's so much in there. I don't have enough time. But looking at this passage of scripture, we find that Jesus is always with the last group of people that others think God would be around. Jesus is always associating himself with the poor. Jesus is always associating himself with unrighteous people, with sinners, with prostitutes. He's he's associating himself with people that religion has rejected, and yet he's God, and he says, this is who I want to hang out with. It's pretty interesting, right? So for me, like, when I first got saved, you know, just to try and answer this question, is it, is it cool to hang out with, with unbelievers or, or should I cut everybody out of my life that's not a Christian? Um, when I first got saved, I got to be honest with you guys, the people I hung out with before I started walking with Jesus were an unhealthy bunch of people. And, that's, and that is putting it lightly. I'm being kind to them, okay? Unhealthy bunch of people. And so for me, when I got saved, you guys, I had to cut my ties with those people. Anybody else have that experience, right? You, you honestly just need to let it go. You just need to say, hey, listen, love you. We share a past, but because of Jesus, I'm not sure if we share a future right now. So I need to walk this way, right? So that's what I did. When I first got saved, I said goodbye uh, to some of my old friends. I had learned the power of peers the hard way because there's a power in your peer group. The people you hang out with most often are the people that you're going to become most like. So consider that, right? You want to slay giants, you know, you hang out with giant killers. You know, you want to be radical and on fire for God, you hang out with people who are radical and on fire for God most often, right? 
So I understood that. I thought, you know, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my old friends behind. I'm going to find some new ones. And uh, it took me actually six months before I could turn around and reach out to some of my old friends. And not even all of them. You know, not all of them. Just a, just a small few that I knew that would respect the new life path that I was on with the Lord. And to be honest with you guys, I was afraid to reach, reach out to those old friends. Any, anybody else ever felt that before? You're like, man, I'm just not strong enough to hang out with those people. You know what I mean? Like, it, you, you can't get other people healthy if you're not healthy. So it's, it's like, man, I'm just not strong enough. I can't be around people abusing alcohol and drugs. You know, I can't, I can't be put in a pressure cooker situation where I may make a mistake because of, you know, some influencers around me. I want to protect the grace of God, the salvation, and the new life that I've found with Jesus. And so I'm just not going to hang out with them. So anybody else ever had that experience? Well, you know, it says here in the Bible that wisdom is justified by uh, her deeds. And to be honest with you guys, I think that in some seasons, that looks like wisdom. To be honest with you guys, I think in some seasons, it looks like wisdom to not associate and to not affiliate, to not hang out with, to not connect with people that you know that would detract you from pursuing Jesus with your whole heart. I think in some seasons, I think that looks like, I think that looks like wisdom. And I want to give you guys permission tonight as we're starting that you, you have permission to disconnect from unhealthy people. Can I just, can I give you that permission slip that you have permission to disconnect from unhealthy people? Here's a, here's a great thing. You can always reconnect with them later. All right. Remember what we talked about last week, the relational orbits, you know, you know, the state of your heart. And you don't want to hang out with people who constantly pressure you to walk away from Jesus. Here at Newsflash, they are not your real friends. Okay? They're not your real friends. Okay? Friends that pressure you to walk away from love are not your real friends. Because he's love, capital L. He fully and perfectly embodies love. And if you have that connection, why do you want to spend time with people and give people influence in your life that constantly, every time you get around them, batter you and berate you and try to get you to walk away from that love? So I think in some situations, it's really healthy. And um, I want you to know this as well. It's not religious to protect your heart. Okay, so I know that for me, when I first decided to do this, um, you know, people, people, people said mean things about me. Anybody else in here, you know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, you just, you, you know, you found religion. Yeah, that's, what, that's what they said about my dad, too, when, when, when he did this. And um, I remember him telling me that. So I was kind of prepared for it. But people say, oh, you're religious now. Oh, you're, they, I don't know if you guys say this, but they say this in Kentucky. Oh, you're holier than thou. They say that, Pastor Ricky, you know that, you know that term? I don't even know what that means exactly. I guess it just means like you're too good or something. But they would say that. And, um, you know, I want you guys to know that it's not religious to protect your heart. It's not religious to protect your salvation. Can I get two good amens? I want you to know that. And um, as we answer this question, should we only have Christian friends? You know, I, I want to I continue down the path of my story. Six months into my salvation, 
Um, you know, I told my dad, hey, I'm called to preach. I, I, I feel this calling of God upon my life. Three months later, he said, listen, Lyle, I, I believe that. I affirm that. I've known that since you were a kid, but I think you need to go to ministry school. You need to go somewhere where you can be trained aside from, from home. And so three months later, nine months after I was saved, I went to ministry school. It's a mega church, but I lived in a dorm with all these other students. And I spent every waking hour uh, with other Christians. Now, I don't know if you guys know what this is like, but about nine months into my salvation, I became very comfortable on the inside of my Christian bubble. So um, anybody know about the Christian bubble? So the Christian bubble is, is kind of like an island where all the residents look the same and they all talk the same. They speak this language called Christianese. They got all the same mannerisms and manifestations. You know what I'm saying? You go to a different church, you're like, oh, I didn't even know you could respond to God like that. All right, and, and everybody's doing it. Some of that stuff is cultural, right? It's this bubble idea, and I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying that it's a group of people, and they all have this same moral and religious compass, right? And, and I got really comfortable. I got to be honest with you guys. I got really comfortable in my Christian bubble. You know you're in the Christian bubble when you're really uncomfortable Anywhere else except your bubble, okay? You're, you're in it, okay? So don't, don't nudge your neighbor and be like, that's you, okay? If the only place you're comfortable is in the church and with other Christians, you might be in the bubble, okay? So, it's the truth. Sometimes the bubble is so insulated, you're only comfortable within your own denomination. You're not, you're not, even, you're not even cool with a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Methodist, it's, if it ain't Pentecostal, it's, you know what I'm saying? Or if it ain't this, or if, if it's not that, it's like, you know, you're in the bubble, right? Okay, don't, don't text nobody, okay? Don't text nobody or... No, but that's the truth, man. And I, I, I really do interact with two different kinds of people. One of them when it comes to, you know, having Christian friends or only Christian friends, having, having people who are not saved as friends, you know, I, I, really, I really interact with people who subscribe to two, two, two ways of thinking, if you will. And typically those are the people that are in the bubble and those are the people who are outside of the bubble. And, and these two groups of people are always in conflict with one another, if you haven't noticed this. Um, but, but the bubble group, if, if I could call them that, or what I might say is, is more so the religious people, the people who said, Jesus, um, we don't want you hanging out with tax collectors and with sinners because we know you're religious. You're not just religious enough for us, or you're not doing religion the same way we want you to do it. And so you're, you're not, you're not, you're not being good. You're not a good preacher. You're not a good pastor. Right. And so the religious people and I don't know how, how I might define religion is is form without power. OK, if that works or or even as as Pastor Bill says, um, pr uh, practice without without presence. OK, so I, th I think those are two good words. Um, but but the first response is from the person that, that's stuck in the bubble when they're asked, hey, should should I have Christian friends, you know? And the people in the bubble, 
they don't really relate to anybody that does not subscribe to their way of thinking about God. They don't have any real connection with them. In fact, they don't relate to culture at all. Most often they look at culture and they're like, that's evil. That's the devil. Devil music. Devil movies. You know, they're all, everything's the devil. Everybody's uncomfortable. Okay. All right. So, listen, this way of thinking, I, I really do believe that it can be healthy, but only for a season, okay? There, there are certain seasons in life when we need sanctuary, right? Where we need protection from life's problems. Just the same uh, experience I had. There, you, you need the bubble in certain seasons, but you're not supposed to stay in the bubble, okay? The bubble's supposed to be an incubator, not a prison. So, you go in there to grow, and there's a certain time you just, you got to get up and go. All right. And you got to do what Jesus called us to do. Okay. You guys with me? And so the person that lives in this bubble, they have a hard time becoming a friend of sinners. They, they don't know how to relate to people who are living in sin. Uh, they just, they don't know how to relate to anybody who's not like them. And the only form of communication they have with the outside world is what they call evangelism. But nobody ever gets saved because nobody wants to be like them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, where do you? Uh-uh. Nope, not over here. You look crazy. Talk crazy, you do crazy stuff. Mm-mm. I don't want what you have. If that's Jesus, mm-mm. Right? It's hard to live in the bubble and not become religious, not start doing that practice thing without the presence. And this type of person, you guys, they're likely to miss a word from God when it comes through an unlikely source, i.e. somebody with tattoos or i.e. somebody with long hair, i.e. somebody who wears black skinny jeans with rips in them. I'm just kidding. But you guys get what I'm saying. You know, it has to be this very calculated, meticulous, expected way that God communicates or else they don't hear it, right? You guys with me? And so I, I, I do meet some people who are like this, and I got to say that people in the bubble tend to be categorized by, by one thing, and that is that Jesus has become a representation of them rather than them becoming a representation of him. And that's when Jesus stops being your God and starts being your idol. You can't domesticate Jesus. Okay? Yeah. Jesus is not your house cat, okay? <laughs> oh, little house cat Jesus. Just keep him in my box, you know. Let him out every now and then when I go on, on Sunday. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, you cannot domesticate Jesus. The goal of Christianity is not for your Jesus to look like you. Don't make me drop this mic. You guys get what I'm saying, though, over here, right? The goal of Christianity is for you to look like Jesus. So if Jesus looks like you, acts like you, talks like you, behaves like you, makes all the same decisions that you do, you might be in the bubble. 
Holy Ghost, help me. Can I preach this like the Lord told me to give it to you guys? Okay. All right. <laughs> I don't want no house cat Jesus. I don't want a domesticated Savior. Man, I want a wild, uh, you know, passionate, loving Jesus. Come on, man. That's, that's, that's what I'm hungry for. I want to know that wild Jesus. I ain't tame at all. Not safe a bit, but he's real good. Not safe, but real good. <laughs> Come on. So the second response that, that, I, that I hear is, is the second type of person maybe is, is more the, the non-religious person. And, and the non-religious person, a lot of times, they're ex-residents of the bubble. So they moved, they moved off, the, off the reservation. And, and, yeah, right? And so they used to live in the bubble, but they don't anymore. And so they love when God stumps the world with his wisdom by working through an unlikely vessel. And this person understands that God loves to work outside the bubble. They know that. They've understood that. And this person may, in fact, even pride themselves on not being religious. <laughs> I'm not religious at all. You know, a lot of times they're not righteous either. I'm meddling now, ain't I? They hate religion, but it, you know, I can't tell that. I don't think they like righteousness either. Right? I know. Somebody turn the heat up to cremate in here. And so they, they traded in their religion for rebellion. And, you know, they're not, they're not re religious, but they're just borderline rebellious. And, you know, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but you can try really hard to not be religious and live in sin. Right? And so, you know, this person, a lot of times, you know, they claim to be a light in the darkness. They go where other Christians would never dare to go. But more often than not, they are being overcome rather than overcoming. And they say, well, I, you know, I go where other people won't go. You know, I go to the bars. But, okay. But you don't share your faith with anybody. And really, you don't share your testimony. You, you share a belief system after you got saucy. You got a little liquid confidence now, and all of a sudden you're a preacher. <laughs> I'm doing evangelism. No, you're not. You're getting drunk. Not doing any evangelism. Nobody wants to be like you, bro. Well, I go to church on Sunday. What church you go to? I don't want to go there. I'm just going to write that church down. Right? So then we see Jesus, right? We see the Son of Man. We see the Son of God. We see the Messiah. We see Yahweh with flesh on. And he comes in a completely different spirit. He doesn't come as the person trapped in the bubble. And he doesn't come as the person that's living a lifestyle of rebellion either. You know, making public posts on Facebook. 
about how bad the church is. He didn't come as that person either. Man, I'm getting on y'all tonight. I am digging in, huh? Man, I am so sorry. Not. Right? So Jesus come, he, he, he comes in a completely different spirit. And, and I want to know that if Jesus was here today doing the same things that he did when he walked the earth a couple thousand years ago, we would look at him and call him religious. You see, Jesus actually was quite religious. Jesus went to synagogue every week. Jesus read his Bible faithfully, which is why he could quote it from memory in a heated situation with a demon. He knew how to wield his sword because he'd read and he'd studied and he'd prayed and he'd fasted and he followed the mandates of young Jewish boys in his time. He went to temple. There were three appointed times for prayer for the Jewish people. This man went to church more than us all, if I if could say it like that. We would look at him and say, Jesus was so religious. See, it is not, you know, it's, it's, it's not just looking at the Bible through a different lens that we might say, oh, Jesus was not religious. No, that is a very Western, um, postmodern, secular viewpoint about the Messiah. He was not, you know, a Western hipster. He was an Eastern mystic. Does that make sense? But that's the reality of, of, of who Jesus was. And when he came, um, you know, he spent a great deal of time praying, reading the Bible, and he even gave financially to the church. We have evidence of that in the Bible. Jesus was quite religious. And despite his devotion to religion, Jesus was accused by the religious of not being religious enough. Despite being devoted. Says Matthew eleven nineteen, the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Jesus was Jesus, your God, your Savior. He he was accused of being an unhealthy drunk that hung out with nobodies. <laughs> that's what the, that's what the religious people, the people in the bubble, said. That dude is unhealthy, drunk, and he hangs out with nobodies. And yet they wouldn't receive his cousin's gospel either, who, who fasted and who didn't drink wine. You know, it, 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 that's the thing with religious people. It's just you're never religious enough. That's the religious spirit. It's not just people. It's the religious spirit. The religious spirit says you, you're never doing enough for God. That's the religious spirit. If you want to know what it is in a nutshell, the religious spirit says you're not doing enough for God. Hey, you're not doing enough for God. So I got three points for you guys on how Jesus perfectly modeled how to do real relationship with non-Christians. So if you're taking notes, write this down. This is point one. Jesus was not afraid to be associated with non-believers. Yeah. Notice that. Jesus had real relationships. And, and, and to take that a step further, Jesus had real friendships with people that were known sinners. So let that set in. He had a real friendship with people who were known sinners, and he spent enough time with them that he became associated with them. He, he spent enough time with them. So let me give you another permission slip. You are allowed to be friends with sinners. Maybe I'll try this side in a different way. You are allowed to be friends with people who are not Christians who don't go to your church, who, who don't want anything to do with Jesus, you are allowed to be real friends with those people, real friends. And, you know, 
We know that Jesus was a big friend to sinners. But here's the thing. Jesus was sinless. And that's where we can take the point from how Jesus uh, perfectly modeled friendship with sinners. Is that he was around sinners, but he did not partake in sinful behavior. So he understood, hey, I'm, I'm, around, I'm around sinners, but that doesn't mean I have to sin, right? And so it's good, it's good to be friends with, with people that are non-believers. And he knew, Jesus knew, that as he did that, that it, would, that it would begin to damage his reputation amongst the religious people. But here's what Jesus always did. Jesus always chose loving people over impressing people. Jesus always chose loving people over impressing people. Always. If you're going to hang out with sinners, here, here, newsflash, it's going to affect your reputation, especially amongst the religious. It's going to affect your reputation. But it's not your reputation that matters most when you're hanging out with, with sinners, if I could use that biblical term. But it's your motivation that matters. What's your motives? Do we have... Do we, what, what are our motives like Jesus's? And that's really point two. And, and point two is Jesus was genuine with non-believers, okay? Jesus came to sinners with genuine motives, okay? He was not pretending to be friends with them so that he could get them saved. Okay, Jesus was not doing like missionary dating, right? Or like missionary friendship. See, that's a transitory relationship. It's like a transaction. Hey, you know, I'll do this for you. You do this for me. You know, you'll get saved. I'll post it on Facebook. And then all the religious people will say, look at him. He's a great evangelist. Right. He had some really genuine motives. He, he really did. And, um, you know, Jesus was sharing real love with real people that he really wanted to know. He really wanted to know them. And if, if you're going to be friends with a non-believer, let me say it plainly, be a real friend. Don't be a fake friend. Be a real friend to non-believers. Don't be ingenuine. Don't just pursue them for the sake of evangelism. Pursue them because they are a real person deserving of real love just like you. Guys, when someone invites you into their life, even if they're an unbeliever, they invite God too. Because you and him are deeply connected. He lives on the inside of you. There's no way that that person cannot invite God into relationship with themselves when they invite you. You don't have to try to figure out, you know, how to strategize. How can I just work this thing in there? You know, I got to make sure, you know. You guys, they came with real, Jesus came with real genuine motives. And that's how he's called us to interact with unbelievers as well. They are a real person, okay? They're not a statistic. They're not a number. They're not a notch for your belt, okay? Look at me and all of my, you know, glory and everything that I do. I get people safe, right? They're a real person, they, they deserve real love. Why? Because they're just like you. They just don't know they've been saved yet. You're, you're the first Bible they're going to read. That's, we, we're not just representing God, okay? We're coming representing God. 
We don't have to stress about sharing our faith all the time. God knows how to work his way into their life as he's working his way through ours. Especially helps in particular environments when it's inappropriate to share the gospel. Now I experienced that as a missionary in India. But I know that the power that's on, on the inside of me is greater than the power that's in the world. So it doesn't matter if I walk into a home that's filled, filled with, with Hindu idols. The Holy Ghost is more powerful than all of those idols put together. And eventually, the people who live there are going to see how I do life, and they're going to read the Bible without having the Bible. You guys get what I'm saying? But here's point three, and it goes right along with point two. So, you know, I'm not just doing that whole, like, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words. Because I think, and used in the right context, that's an amazing quote, but used in the wrong context, I couldn't disagree with it more. Share the gospel, right? And that's point three. Not share the gospel, but point three is Jesus never shrank back from who he was and what he came to do. You guys ever remember the story of Zacchaeus? You know, you know Zacchaeus' uh, career? Tax collector. Yeah. Occupation of choice, this short man. He was, he was a tax collector. And, you know, undoubtedly Jesus' reputation had preceded him. And, uh, you know, Zacchaeus is watching as Jesus is preaching off in the distance. And he said, oh, Jesus is coming my way. He's intrigued. He's interested. This guy's, a, you know, he's a known sinner. He's a corrupt tax collector. He's extorting the poor, and yet he's intrigued. Why? Because of the way Jesus lives his life. Not because of the church he goes to. Not because of the synagogue he's a member of. Not because he knows how to quote all these scriptures and then, you know, post religious things on Instagram. But because he sees that Jesus is coming in a different spirit, and he's intrigued. Jesus hadn't even talked to him yet. Jesus hadn't preached no canned messages. He hasn't told him how to get saved. Zacchaeus is just interested. He's curious because he sees a man who's walking in true love. He's like, what is this? It's real love. That's real power. And I need some of that. And so he climbs a, a, a sycamore fig tree and he, he, he's looking down and he's waiting. And then Jesus comes by and he says, hey, Zacchaeus, what's up? That's the way I read it. Come down from that sycamore fig tree, because today salvation has come to your house. And I, I want to have a meal with you. And then what does he say right after that? Luke 19, 10. He said, he states his purpose right from the very get-go. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save that which is lost. Jesus was all about befriending sinners and tax collectors, prostitutes and poor people. But Jesus never disguised his mission. He never hid it under a bushel. No. He, he, was, he, he was letting his light shine, you guys. He was very honest and upfront about who he was and what he came to do. Jesus included his mission in his opening address to Zacchaeus. And I think this is a great practice when meeting non-Christian if in the moment wisdom says that it's appropriate. You know, one of the things I do when I meet people in public sometimes is I try to break the ice by letting them know, like, oh, hey, I'm a pastor, you know, or we somehow talk about that just so that they know, hey, I, I have a mission to love you, and it's not just because I'm a pastor, but you're probably going to hear something about Jesus pretty soon. 
not trying to offend you, but I really felt like I wanted to share that with you. And then it helps me just talk about faith with them. And I can say, hey, what do you think about God? It's one of the easiest questions to ask people. What do you think about God? You don't even have to tell them you're a Christian or a pastor or a leader or anything. What do you think about God? Oh, God is wonderful. Let me tell you what God has done in my life. You don't have to share a scripture. You just share your story. You're an overcomer by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. It's the best sermon you have. Every single one of you guys are fiery preachers because every single one of you guys had the blood of the lamb smeared across the doorpost of your hearts. You got a message. And Jesus included his when he met this tax collector, Zacchaeus. People will resist religion, but people rarely resist real love. And if they do, it'll only be for a time. Because real love is so powerful that eventually it just seeps through every crack. Any little crack or crevice that that they have left open, love gets in there. Love just finds a way, right? What can we not do with enough love? What city can we not flip upside down with the gospel with, with, with enough love? You know, what person won't get saved if they just get showered with enough love? What can we not do with enough love? If your situation is not going the way you want it to, just add love. And if it doesn't break through, add more love and keep doing it because eventually love does win. Just add love. Just look at your neighbor and say, just add love. Never back down from the mission. Every single one of you guys have been commissioned as an evangelist to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you never have to back down from that mission that God has given you as his disciple. He said, if you'll be unashamed of me, I'll be unashamed of you before my father in heaven. And when you have the power of the father in heaven working in your life, tell me who's not going to want what you have when they see the supernatural grace and authority working through your life. My son's coming up here to preach too. Come on, Isaiah. Hallelujah. Be bold about your friendship with Jesus. Share real love. Be bold about your friendship with Jesus. After all, he has saved your life. After all, he has set you free from sin. After all, he has given you grace and mercy. He's anointed you with power, with love, and a sound mind, not the spirit of fear. Amen? And so we have a gospel. We have something to share. I want to pray with you guys tonight. I want to ask Nick to come back and jump on the keys because we're going to pray together. But I, I really, I really kind of, you know, as, as we're finishing, guys, when you're looking at your friendships with people who are non-Christians, okay, I think the grace of God that we need is to see those people as being like us in, their, in our humanity, in our shared humanity. It's so easy to look at other people and think that person's not like us because they're this or that or you know, they're of this religion or this nationality or they're this color or they're this or that or whatever, fill in the blank. But when we see other people, we acknowledge our shared humanity and we acknowledge our mutual need for a savior. We acknowledge our mutual dependency upon our creator. We acknowledge that we both 
in spirit are desperate for Jesus Christ. We are desperate for the blood of the lamb. We are desperate for real love. We are desperate for a savior. And it's time for some of us, man, we need to, you know, pop the bubble and step out. For some of us, we need to come back home and engage and be full-grown sons and daughters of the house. And I think all of us together can say, God, help me to lower my judgments. God, you are so often with the people that I think you'd never have anything to do with. But you're so often with them. In fact, you're associated with them, God. That's, that's who you enjoy spending time with. You're always around them. And so, God, what I pray tonight is that you would move in us so that we would see people unsaved, unrighteous, sinful people as being just an inch away from salvation in Jesus. Jesus was a friend of sinners and he is inviting us to be the same. And to be honest with you guys, you can substitute any group into that sentence that you'd like. Jesus is inviting you to not only be a friend of sinners, but how about, how about a friend to Muslims? How about a friend to, to Hindus? How about a friend to Catholics? How about a friend to atheist? Do you know that when you befriend an atheist, you're doing what Jesus would do? And God, I pray for wisdom to know who to befriend. And I pray for wisdom to, to acknowledge and understand unhealthy connections in our life and to understand and discern the moment of time to, to share faith or to not share faith. He's calling us to be a friend of sinners. He's calling us, what about this, to be a friend to racist with everything that's happening in our nation right now. How about in our city, guys? He's calling us to be a friend to homeless, to the homeless, the homeless community in our city. The, the, the people that we commonly believe he wouldn't be caught dead with are the people he died for. The people that we think Jesus wouldn't be caught dead with are the people he died for. So Lord, we just choose tonight to see you rightly. We choose tonight to see other people rightly. And we acknowledge that they have the same need for God that we do. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you for the opportunity to show people what you're really like.
by becoming friends with people you really love. Say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you guys don't mind, just stand, please. And, you know, I know we got one more week of this uh, sermon series left. Uh, but I really believe with all my heart, guys, that God is strengthening us relationally. He's, ha, ha, could any of you guys testify and say, man, throughout the past five weeks, like God really has strengthened me in my relationships, strengthened me in my friendships, strengthened me. Amen. Amen. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. And so we just ask God that you would continue to strengthen us in our relationships. We want to be relational not just relatable. We don't want to be just surfacey nice. God, we want to do real friendship and real relationship with the people you love. So Father, we bless you tonight and we bless one another as a family in Jesus' name everyone said amen let's just lift up a big round of applause for Jesus we love you Lord we bless you we bless you we thank you God that's amazing how many of you were challenged and blessed by that message I know I was. I cannot wait to look at my week ahead through a completely different lens of how can I be loved to the people that God puts in front of me. So that's what I'm going to challenge you guys with this week, that you would choose to put on love like you've never put it on before, and that you would choose to love the people that God puts in your path without feeling guilty that you would love them in the way that Jesus loves each and every one of us. And that if you feel confused or if you feel like, God, I don't really know how to love this person that you've put in my life, that, that you would ask the Lord to reveal to you what his heart is for the people that he's put in front of you. My kid wants to play the guitar because story of his life. <laughs> well, I love each and every one of you, and I'm so glad that you are here with us this evening. If you do remember, please pray for Lyle as he's gone this week in Japan. I know, I'm so excited for him. He's been looking forward to this trip for a really long time. This is a much overdue trip. So just be praying over him. Be praying over our Costa Rica team as they're gone with Justin and just be thinking of one another. I encourage you guys, connect this week. Meet somebody new. Invite them over for dinner. <laughs> there he goes. Well, I'm going to have the ministry team come on up to the front. If you're here this evening 
and you're needing to see and experience some breakthrough in your own life, if you're just wanting somebody to partner with you um, for prayer about anything, our prayer team is here, ready and willing and wanting to pray with you this evening. So don't hesitate, If even if it's something simple and you're like, I just need somebody to believe with me um, about some breakthrough or just pray over me as I'm looking at my week ahead and it looks a little overwhelming, please come forward. We want to pray with you. We want to bless you this week. Also, remember, if you were a first-time visitor with us this evening, drop your Connect card off at the Connect bar so that we can get to know you. And then if you are looking to serve at our conference, um, please, please go to our Connect bar, pick up a card, fill it out so that we can get you plugged in and connected, especially with the children's um, department at the conference. We would love to have you serving with us. So this evening, may I just pray over you before you leave that Jesus, we just thank you so much for the opportunity to do life and family and relationship together. And I just declare blessing and increase over everyone this evening. And I just declare that they will meet their weeks with love overwhelming. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You are dismissed this evening. We love you. We'll see you next week here at 4 p.m. <laughs>